0: Wow, I've just had the most incredible chat with Pippa Campbell, my old friend. We dive into things like fluoride impacting your ability to metabolize. I mean, literally impacts your thyroid. We go through the different body types, which are cortisol, serotonin, thyroid, detox, estrogen, digestion, and insulin body types, how to maximize your weight loss. And also, did you know that makeup and SPF could be triggering a certain type of alopecia? You're going to gain loads of information from this, so enjoy. Hi, I'm Davinia Taylor and welcome to Hack Your Health, a podcast which can support a fast track to feeling your best, boosting your mood and uplifting your general outlook on life. My biohacking journey began over eight years ago, which led me to having a ridiculously inquiring mind always asking questions and searching for the answers. For example, why do I sometimes lose focus and what makes me sign up to a marathon at 45? Or one of my first ever questions, what the hell makes me so allergic to alcohol that I can't ever drink again and how do I manage that? After all, what is addiction and how can it be tamed? Over the years, I've done tons of research and become my own n of one experiment trying and testing some of the most out there and fringe hypotheses to find out what actually works for me. Me being an average middle-aged British woman with the usual ups and downs of 21st century living. And now I wanna share with you what I've learned. I'll be joined by some of the best visionaries in the health and biohacking space, asking them to put forward their arguments and suggestions that could support your health and well-being. As with everything, there is never a one size fits all approach. So I ask you take these conversations as food for thought. The advice you hear should never be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses or treatment. But whatever you do, stay inquisitive. And as always, I love your feedback and your experience about what we talk about. Now let's go and hack your health. My guest today is a functional practitioner who helps women from teens to postmenopause find and treat the root causes of their hormone, weight, and gut issues. Her book, Eat Right to Lose Weight, is a must-read, helping you discover your metabolic type while teaching you how to eat right for your body. If you're ready to reset, rebalance, reboot your life, then this is the conversation made for you. Welcome, my good friend, Pippa Campbell. You've been in clinic for how long now?
1: I don't know, like nearly 15 years and always women or female health. So I've seen a lot. I mean, that's that's the thing. You know, you can learn everything. You can, you know, learn the basic, understand the hormones, how the body works, and you get your piece of paper. But until you actually work in clinic and see, I, I've seen hundreds, thousands of women. So that's when that's when I say to my practitioners: now you're starting to learn. That's when you can really understand the nuances how the female body actually works because you're trying different things with different
0: women and you understand that
1: the same thing doesn't always work for each person
0: okay so i've i've got your book here which is which is a lovely read actually it's really it's it's digestible you know so you can get through it you don't use ridiculously long scientific words so it literally is it's a page turner but what was surprising me in it is how vulnerable some of your clients are so much so that when you have consultations with some women they're too paranoid or ashamed to even turn on the camera to you. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And I just wanted to get into the roots of this because you, you mentioned like body conditioning, like people want to be thin over and above healthy, but the thinness doesn't come and the healthiness doesn't come. What is that conditioning about? Well, I mean, first of all, and
1: I think, you know, we have to look at the media, especially in more recent years as, you know, told women that they shouldn't be concerned about their body weight. They shouldn't be concerned about their, Appearances. So actually, you know, in some ways that's not helpful because in real life, in clinic, what we're seeing and what I'm seeing is that women really do care and it's ruling their life. Now, they might come to me and their priority is weight loss. So
0: they tried everything, you know, the most extreme, weirdest diets. Okay, elaborate on that, just, just because I, I like this. I like knowing what, what we're all conditioned to think is the ideal. Okay, so to try and get somebody down from a size 20 down to a size 16, what are you seeing them do? Well, it will normally be calorie-based.
1: So these could be ready meals that are said to you in the post, or it might be their meal replacement shapes, for example. So, they are just thinking about calories and they're looking on the back. Oh, women are serious. That's it. There's only 300 calories in that. But then you see that sugar and weird sugars and inflammatory oils, which I know is your sort of favorite subject, and things Mm. like that. So, they may be reducing their calories because it's not healthy.
0: And what else is it causing, you know, causing a problem? Well, I mean, my first uh, assumption would be it's causing cravings. So, it's unsustainable. Oh,
1: absolutely. Because all sorts of things, ingredients in there can cause the cravings. So for a start, they won't be sufficient in protein, rarely. So you're not getting the satiety. Usually they're quite short term. If you think about these short term faddy type things, they're quite attractive. Because they promise quick fixes. I can lose X amount of weight in a short amount of time. Quite often their friends doing it as well. or it's all the rage on Instagram. So they're quite attractive and it's the latest thing in, in the press. Like I remember when I was younger, the cabbage soup diet. I know, isn't that? I mean, can you imagine doing you just something? Fart. <laughs> well, farting is a big side effect. But even forgetting that, you know, you're, I mean, you probably feel really down and depressed because you're not getting the amino acids, which are the starting point of, you know, our neurotransmitters. So, our happy hormone and dopamine, in which you talk about quite a lot. So, you're not even guessing the amino acids, so the proteins that are there. And yeah basically it's just cabbage so you are essentially really reducing your diet what we're trying to do is get our clients to eat more variety not completely you know eliminate things but they are all the whole point is they're all short term so either they're not fixing the other problems that led to the weight gain in the first place and this is sort of my point that i would quite often with questioning clients say yes i know they came to me for weight loss but then they'd mention sleep they'd mention bloating and quite often, those are the symptoms that preceded the weight gain. So those are the things that give me the clues. So I can help them lose weight. I can help them lose weight. But but why? why? What's going on?
0: Right. I, what I'd love to do with you, Pippa, because this, I want this to be a really actionable and an easy to break down podcast, right? I want to go through your book kind of chronologically. So first of all, I want to talk about how processed food triggers inflammation and how inflammation stops any sort of weight loss because that, I suppose, would be the root cause for everybody. If you're inflamed, you're not going to shift weight. Why is that?
1: Yeah, you, know, you could be inflamed for various reasons. So not just processed foods. It might be because of poor digestion. You're eating. Um, you're not chewing your food. You're not breaking down your food. So those undigested food proteins, for example, are causing inflammation. So that'd be my digestion type, which is the first type in the book. Uh, I put that there because sort of gut health is the foundations of good health. So any type of inflammation, you know, that's going to switch off fat burning. Why would you? If you've got high inflammation, why is your body going to automatically go, let's just
0: lose some weight? But actually it does. Okay. And you mentioned Bliss Point Foods as well. Just explain how they're made and designed and what the end goal for those Bliss Point Foods are. (laughs) Those food manufacturers are super clever.
1: They know that they can get the perfect ratio of sugar, fats. And when I say sugar, you know, it's whether it's carbohydrates, so sugars in any form, for example. And that is the perfect point where somebody is saying this is good, and it lights up the part of the brain, the same part of the brain that cocaine does. So suddenly, you're lighting up that sort of dopamine, and is like, want more. And so, I don't know if anyone sort of listening has noticed over the years, although they have been told to reduce sugar enough. But there was a time when, like, I definitely heard Marks and Spencers were doing this, where because then you're, you can become a little bit resistant to that, you need more of that fix, more of that sugar. So actually, you'd get food manufacturers, I know Marks and Spencer were doing it, they were increasing the sugar more and more because people were getting used to that amount, so they had to put more in. So these uh, foods had hijacked the palate, I guess? Absolutely. They're so clever. They know what works. I mean, when does anyone ever have one biscuit? No. It's a, I mean, a, it's impossible. It's very unusual. I mean, there's a dun I was at school with who used to eat a mask ball, nibble Nipple away, They it to the mouse.
0: She nibble away. It would stay in her knocker for a whole week. Who oh does God. that? Well, that a freak. <laughs> freak of nature. But I mean that that to me sort of like indicates a controlling issue. So that the root cause of that behavior is a mental obsession i guess you know it's like a safety net she's got that mars bar in a locker for the rest of the week and she will nibble 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 and that to me is just low level dopamine she's thinking about it while she's in a lesson and she goes back to it it's just like addiction really isn't it normally somebody would have
1: walked down that i mean that wouldn't have lasted more than a day that that mars bar because people can't you know a day
0: five seconds you inhale those things
1: Well, yeah, I do. like normal and i have
0: clients who over the years who i mean i had one client who was two packs a day
1: And actually, when I took them off the biscuits, they did crash. They did crash a bit. There was a program once on, I think it was BBC called Sugar Farm. I think it was called, and they were coming off sugar. So we're not talking about coming off caffeine here, We're coming off sugar and they were getting flu-like symptoms, feeling sick. And so this is withdrawal. We're not talking about detox symptoms here. We're talking about withdrawal symptoms
0: which if you've, ever come off, if you've ever come off drugs or alcohol, nicotine, or even like Diet Coke, they, these are the associated, coffee, these are associated with withdrawal, but sugar's doing exactly the same. Absolutely. It is so powerful. So yes, these manufacturers
1: know that. So there might be the sort of person who, I call it cold turkey Caroline, might be brilliant, can go all out, do the 21-day plan of my book, cut out those sort of sugars, embrace the plan, but then you'll get Moderation Mary, who can't do that, who has to go low and slow. Because you have to be careful of the cold turkey carolines. Sometimes they're they're the ones that have done everything. So if I see a client and they are a serial, pups fan dieter or, you know, history of, trying, of these things, you'd have to think, you know, you're always thinking of the way their mind sort of works. And you have to be careful that these sort of people, unless you're guiding them through three months and you're with them, they could literally sort of fall back into their old ways if they do something quite extreme. But sometimes you do need to literally get that sugar out. So you don't have the taste for it. And then people say, well, what can I eat instead?
0: Well, nothing. (laughs) If you don't, don't replace that sweet feeling. Okay. I mean, that, that's going to be tricky. Right. So before we get into how to replace sugar with something that you do look forward to, because I think that's a lot of the problem. It's like, well, what, what can I look forward to? What, you know, I've got, I'm working in a job I don't like and, you know, I'm overwhelmed with the kids. What do I look forward to? But before we get into that one, in your book, you highlight seven of the major body types that you can identify that have metabolic problems. Can we go through them in order? So you've got the digestion type, the cortisol type, the detox type, the thyroid type, the estrogen type, and the serotonin type. So let's attack these one by one. Let's start with the digestion type. What are the symptoms? Well, the big symptoms I'm talking about not just general gut
1: health, but digestion. So these are the people that when they're eating that it might be shortly after you know, eating, that they might be burping, they might get wind, they might get bloated. But then it could be to other things. It might be skin issues, for example. But generally, the digestion type will definitely be experiencing some sort of gut issue. They will be reacting to foods. It's not necessarily the food's fault. Now, it might be there are some foods we do need to take out, but it's not necessarily everyone's blaming the foods and then they're suddenly doing food intolerance tests. If your digestion is not good, and I'm talking about right up at the top, when you start eating, that saliva is already being produced and you've got those uh, stomach acid your digestive juices are flowing and then you've got pancreatic enzymes and then bile, which helps break down fat. So these are the things that help break down food. And actually, even thinking about food should get your... Even me thinking about it now, I can't always feel that till I become enough, your digestive juices should be flowing. Now, if they're not working very well, you do a food intolerance test, it's likely to show up a lot of foods. Because if you're not breaking down your foods, you're gonna be reacting to all of them. So that would not be always the first I wouldn't be the first place, wouldn't start with a food intolerance test. But certainly one of my big things and one of my five foundations in the book is chewing your food thirty times. Now some food goes to mush sooner. Okay. Yeah, I'd see you're
0: laughing. I'm like, oh my God. But- <laughs> what if you eat a steak through a straw like me? I mean, I just I, I'm so bad at it. I'm so poor at it. I'm always on the go. So are you
1: aware when
0: you're eating a steak? Are you aware of swallowing whole chunks sometimes? Yeah, I do it all the time. <laughs> I mean, it's terrible. I, I know I'm doing it, but it's how do you get out of that habit of just being it like a baby's a- spot because you have to you do have to really chew. you probably have to get to these thirty. Matthew said, "I'm like Slimer out of Ghostbusters." That's awful, isn't it? I mean, if you think (laughs) if you're not chewing
1: your steak properly, yeah, and you need good stomach acid, so you need to release these gastric, you know, juices by sort of chewing, and then so you don't make enough stomach acid, and that really is responsible for breaking down protein. So that then steak is sitting around in your stomach a bit too long, fermenting, attracting unwanted bugs. And then, you know, this person, you might get SIBO. They might have some other kind of
0: bacterial sort of overgrowth. So it all starts at the top. It all starts with digestion. Pippa, would that be acid reflux as well? I get a lot of messages about acid reflux. Can you explain how we can treat that rather than taking, you know, over-the-counter or even just what, what, what's available in boots stuff? So oh, contrary to popular belief. So acid
1: reflux is not too much acid. Cause that's why they're put on PPIs too, which is medication to produce stomach acid. It is actually normally low stomach acid. So if you go, I don't understand. How can I have low stomach acid and I'm getting acid reflux? It's just acid in the wrong place. It's backing up. Now it will back up because that meat, that food is sitting around in the stomach too long because you don't have enough stomach acid to break it down. So it's hanging around too long. So if it's hanging around too long. And yes, of course, it can back up. So we tend to find things like digestive enzymes and betaine HCL can be really useful for, for stomach acid. But of course, we want, to, we want to chew our food properly. So a simple thing is to start chewing your food. Apple cider vinegar as well can be useful. So you could do a little test for stomach acid. And you can actually take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar. So this is not for insulin reasons or reducing insulin effect of the meal. This is for stomach acid. And then you eat your meal and do you find that symptoms improve? That is a really good sign you've got low stomach acid.
0: Okay, so would that be as if you were, because we're going to come on to the insulin type next. But would the apple cider vinegar be uh, beneficial, would that be taken in the same way? So a tablespoon in water before you start eating? So actually, this apple cider vinegar, it's a pretty handy ingredient to have in the kitchen, right? It's all around magic. Now,
1: for insulin, it might be that you could just have it in your salad dressing. But if you want to get the stomach acid flowing yeah. for a meal, then you could take it up to even half an hour before that meal you could get it. It works in a little bit like digested bitters. It gets those juices flowing. Okay. Also, down to eat. Stop looking at your phone when you're, I mean, look, yeah, people <laughs> Out, you can hear people putting their uh bone away. Um, so as you're listening to this podcast, don't eat. But yes, so sitting down, chewing your food, looking at your food, you've made your plate all quite nice and you're actually making time to eat, you're not just sitting at your desk and on your computer. Do some breathing even before you eat, because you know, most people are so stressed out. And, you know, again, if, if your stress response is, you know, really there for killing a tiger or running away from a tiger. So do you think when you are going to be killed, your body's going, oh, let's just have this snack and all will digest that well?
0: I don't know, mine would.
1: <laughs> well, you're obviously brilliant, but most people can't and their bodies are not going to go, oh, this is a great time to eat. when no, you're, you're right. perfect. So you are not going to be able to digest that food if you are about to be killed. Now, of course, it's not really, you're not really about to be killed. It might be that you're, Tell is to stay it's you know they're doing the GCSEs. It might be that your bosses are the complete
0: I won't use the word, whatever. No bad. You yeah, can yeah, use exactly. no bad. Yeah. I like it when you talk northern, Pippa. It's really funny. What? <laughs> 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 oh my god, not that northern. Um <laughs> you're so funny. Right. And also, do you know what, Pippa? The amount of people say to me, Oh, I've got IBS. I mean, and that's what doctors say. Oh, it's all right, you've got IBS. IBS isn't even a thing, is it? It's a symptom of something else. This is like the whole one-size-fits-all approach. You've got IBS, take this. I mean, it's, it's a non-medical term, right? Yeah, you said
1: it perfectly. You've you know, explained it exactly to a T. So IBS is not a diagnosis. So you're completely right. It is a collection of symptoms. So your doctor will say, oh, you've got IBS, as if it's like, oh, well, that's all right, but I've just got IBS. It's normal. It's fine. Most people have that. It's just IBS. Well, what does that mean? It's, an, it's a collection of symptoms. So usually this person has gone to the doctor, they're getting bloated. they might have wind, they might be burping, might be getting
0: tummy aches. And they said, oh, you've just got IBS. Oh, if it's all right, then I'll go home now. And that's the end of that. So it's like saying, oh, yeah, you've got spots. Off you go. What? No, but I want to know why. I want to stop the spots. Or, yeah, or I've got a headache. Yeah, you've got a headache. That's your diagnosis. Off you pop. The one's a brilliant one because you're going to the
1: doctor for a head. You know, you've got to, you're getting all these headaches and they will give you a painkiller. And and that will just, you know, manage those symptoms. But of course, we want to know why are you getting those headaches? So is it low estrogen? Is it blood sugar? Is it food intolerance? Blah blah. So the same thing with, with IBS. Well, why are you getting bloating? So in clinic, we'd be like that. You
0: know, I'd be like that annoying child that keeps going, "Why, why?" <laughs> yep, I've got a couple of them. Yeah, but you have to, right? Because otherwise, you're never going to get better. You're just going to tolerate the medicine that they give you, and then you're going to have to up it or try something else. And you're just constantly wasting your own time by fighting against symptoms, which actually, it's your body doing you a favour, saying, "Hang on, here's an alert. Let's investigate." Absolutely. Your body's telling you. And
1: that's what I've set out in the book. So talking about the different reasons why you might be bloating, when you're bloating, how quickly after a meal. Because, you know, if it's within half now, you're thinking stomach acid, you're thinking pancreatic enzymes after that. And then then you're thinking, okay, so about an hour, hour and a half is it small intestine. By the time it's got to the large intestine, it's past an hour and a half. And that's now we're looking at large intestine. And then people might say their farts smell as well, which can't, you know, look, occasionally farts do smell, let's face it, and, and no poo is like, it's going to smell like roses, but it's continually bad smell. Then mm, there could be a bit of unwanted guess there, but it all starts at the top of getting this digestion right.
0: And would you recommend a gut test? Uh, you know, the, I, I know you use Regenerous Labs in your clinic, don't you? And it's like over three days because I've been looking at different gut tests around and uh, my father-in-law's doing the Zoe app. He's obsessed with Tim Spector. But he, uh, I, I noticed that, that with their test, it's only one day. And that's just a tiny snapshot of your gut microbiome, which I assume you do need those three days to get a... Well, I'm sure you prefer it. Yeah
1: days but obviously the zoe one is looking at so many different things so it's not a really comprehensive stool test really the results on that will show you the ratio of your good to bad bacteria it doesn't tell you what the bacteria necessarily is uh the reason why we do three days and it's the gi 360 it's american test by doctors data is because parasites can hide particularly so you might get not get it on day one but then they rear their ugly head on on day three so we're really looking it's very comprehensive so in that test we're looking for parasites we're looking for all types of bacteria, uh, imbalanced bacteria, which a small amount might be okay, but overgrowth like Strep or Klebsiella, then it's not okay. And, and yeast, for example. Um, we're looking at enzymes and, you know, various other things as well. But, you know, you don't necessarily have to go there first. You could follow the digestion type of my book and that could literally solve all your problems. But if you were still getting issues, then I'd say that's when you might want to look. But honestly, sometimes it's as simple as You know, not chewing your food, eating too often, you know, snacking, Um, it's, you know, might be stress related, perhaps gluten, it might be a problem or dairy. Those most common food intolerances because they're just harder to break
0: down. So I try all those things first. Right, moving on to the next one. This is the insulin type, guys. So why, when we generally hit our mid-30s, does insulin suddenly come on our radar and become a problem Well, I think
1: it can be 30s. Often it's later with perimenopause, menopause. I think when it comes in later, it is an unfortunate thing because estrogen helps with insulin um, sensitivity. So what we're talking about insulin resistance is when, you know, perhaps we're with that same piece of toast that you ate in your 20s and now you're eating it, say, in later 40s when estrogen is declining or it could be earlier for some people, you know, it depends. And because estrogen helps that insulin sensitivity, so that piece of toast then now is creating more of a response in your system. So your body might need more insulin to push that the sugar caused from eating that piece of toast into your cells. Now, if this keeps on going, you go from high blood sugar to then insulin resistance where then that's, you know, later says and then type 2 diabetes, but where your cells just go, Actually, you know what? I'm fed up with this. I can't take a more sugar into into the cell. You can just stay in the bloodstream, and that's when you get higher glucose levels. But you do need to check ins- insulin as well. You wouldn't want to look at glucose on its own, really.
0: I can't. Um, t- I, I want to get really into the nitty gritty of insulin, but I can't avoid the uh, the new skinny jab thing. Is it Ozempic, which seems to be like flooding? obviously very vulnerable women and men how do you feel about that as a weight loss protocol so that's a daily i think it's a daily jab of insulin which is normally reserved for type 2 diabetes but people are using it as a weight loss protocol i think the kardashians made it famous of course would
1: we even be doing that as a first line anyway why would we not look at diet when we know that you know someone like dr mark hyman who i'm a huge fan Has been talking for years, even before anyone else, about starches, sugars, you know, causing a problem. So, is this now then free reign? Okay, everyone, just see what you want and then just have a jab.
0: Yeah, I think that, I think it's very much have your cake and eat it type mentality, isn't it? As opposed to don't get the cravings in the first place and be free of it and carry on with your day. (laughs) It's nuts. It's nuts. I mean, when honestly, simple, I know
1: it's hard work you know, you have to change your diet. That is not always an easy thing to do. I get it. And especially if you're, you know, that type of person, maybe a comfort eater, you know, I get it. It's not going to be easy. I'm never saying, and I say in my book, I'm never saying this is going to be easy because for
0: some people it won't be. Other people will find it easy. What sort of hacks do you have for the insulin type and what sort of tests? And is a poor insulin response genetic? Yeah, there can be. We definitely see SNPs on a gene where
1: people can be definitely genetically predisposed. And we actually have a new test coming out, that's well, already out actually, called the Metabolism and Longevity DNA Package. And we've got genes never been reported on before. And actually, this is going to throw a ton of things out because actually, there's one gene which is involved with saturated fats flooding the cell, and then the sugar can't get in. So if you've got a SNP on that one then actually it's not necessarily even sugars that are going to cause the problem. Now, this is not the norm, but that you know there definitely is a gene that means you would be at higher risk for type 2 diabetes. So if we see the clinic and somebody says, yes, my father is a type 2 diabetic, then of course that's going to increase your risk. So what we need to look at is, yes, as we're aging, we unfortunately we can't get away with eating the starches that we used to. So it's the toughest meal plan in my book, and I feel really bad for people who identify as the insulin metabolic type because it's the strictest, and those are the people who will do well, perhaps on a longer fast, but, you know, I am cutting back and even some of the beans and pulses I'm cutting back apart from, say, a dal where it's quite well cooked out. Um, in the short term, anyway, we know that beans and pulses are a great source of fiber, but they are quite starchy. So imagine if somebody is insulin resistant, they are vegan perhaps and relying on things like chickpeas or pulses, which are quite starchy and to get the equivalent amount of protein, you are know, looking at maybe two cans of chickpeas or something. You know, so because they're quite starchy, if you are the insulin high, this is not going to be ideal. So I have been quite strict and cut back on those. Protein is really key, the insulin type. So starting your, you know, your breakfast, if you're having breakfast, of course, not fasting, making sure you're getting in the protein.
0: And so what would you recommend for breakfast? Say someone's having granola, which of course has been touted as, oh, you know, it, literally eating 30 different ingredients and more is better and you need more variety, but ultimately it's just loads of different nuts, starches. And in my opinion, I think possibly a little bit inflammatory to the gut you know these process they won't be activated nuts for a start you know and you will be paying a lot of money for these uh, granolas you know i'm i'm just thinking a huge huge profit margin with the grains that they're they're turning out oh it's a touted as you know one
1: of the healthiest breakfast yes if you know, that we could eat now for some one person that might be fine i would still want to add a bit of protein into that one person that might be fine but i wouldn't be doing that for the insulin type you know i would be looking at balancing, we don't want to start the day with, you know, want to start the day with sort of balancing your blood sugars. So then it would be things like eggs and, you know, people don't think about having leftovers from the night before a bit of salmon. We are, you know, it's, it's quite European. If you look at the Germans, quite, they quite often have savory breakfast. We're always thinking, oh, wake up and we should Cocoa eat Cocoa pops. <laughs> I know. It's well, crazy. You know, like,
0: yeah. So I think this is getting out of that mindset. You don't need to have something sweet for breakfast. And I think, well, what I do with the children especially is because I, I, don't, I don't have a, an eating breakfast. I have MCT um, powder in my coffee and then I'm, I'm pretty much set up until after lunch. And I mean, that's just years of training myself. My body just doesn't send out the hunger signals at 10 o'clock anymore. It used to, but I've just pushed my eating window back and I'm much better focused because of that. But I digress with my kids. I know that they're growing, they're growing boys. And I always start their day with an egg chopped up in a cup or some scrambled egg. Even before, say if I do um do them pancakes or something, which I would do with probably maple syrup or, or some, um, honey, which I know just converts into a sugar anyway, but I generally start their meal with protein. And sometimes they'll just have even just a couple of slices of bacon, a couple of them like avocados, two of them don't. So, you know, I'm always doing a blooming running buffet. It feels like, but you know, you just get so blindly into the routine that as soon as I get up, the kettle goes on, the pan goes on and four eggs go in. And then they, I just chop the egg up in a cup. And that is what they have just to kick off that, that digest. It's protein straight away. So I'm hoping that I'm leveling that insulin response. So by the time they're in school at nine, they're not on the lower end of the sugar rush, you know? It's still level and they've still got a consistent energy and they're not acting up in school. I used
1: to do that. brilliant. Yeah, eggs or bacon. I'd still taste you sausages as well. And children, as you say, children do need it. They do need a good breakfast. And how many children actually don't get hungry and then they go to school without breakfast and then their blood sugar drops and then they're having a mid-morning packet of crisps or granola bowl?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the breakfast is something that we all can control, even if they're getting a bit older and you can just get them into a protein shake. I really am a massive fan of Dr. Axe's, one that's made of bone broth. I think Planet Paleo have got one as well. And most of my kids, just because of the day and age we live in, are really sweet they love sweets apart from number four which is weird because i ate paleo with him he's not a sweetie monster like the others so i have to put stevia into everything to get it down them to be perfectly honest
1: i haven't tasted dr X's one but other bone broth ones amy myers chocolate one is delicious
0: oh i shall write that down amy myers right. Because I I just think it's better than getting any pea protein or soy protein, which I know where it comes from. It's all mass produced in China. It gets manufactured in the UK. It's full of GMO. We have glyphosate all over it. And, you know, proteins, no, absolutely not. But yeah, any of those or just
1: a, you know, grass fed whey or something like that.
0: Yeah, so much easier.
1: Nothing else with the grass fed whey because just on its own, it would just be so creamy. So you could add some frozen blueberries or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd even put a, some two of the kids like bananas. I'll put that in as well. I know that will is essentially a sugar, but it's got other enzymes in, right? But then with the protein, I don't see it's a big deal. We're not. This is not talking about.
1: It's the children, so no, I don't, I don't see that as a huge problem.
0: Okay, moving on to serotonin type because you mentioned comfort eating. How do I identify if I'm serotonin? So serotonin type. One, they might be the sort of person in winter,
1: you know, that season affective disorder, they feel a bit, bit low, but they are the sort of person that tends to feel flat, low mood, but it might also be that this person, it doesn't sleep very well because serotonin needs to convert to melatonin. So that's how we make our melatonin. So then they might not be sleeping very well. If they're low serotonin, they're not going to be able to make enough melatonin and also people, they might be comfort eaters, so not that that would be looking for quick fixes, dopamine, but actually these real, they do like carbohydrate. And the reason being is because tryptophan, which is an amino acid, how well it starts, how we make serotonin, predominantly found in chicken and turkey, that to cross the blood brain barrier, we need some carbohydrates, so people who are struggling to feel it, they might be craving, they might be craving those carbohydrates you've seen. So, so you put all the different symptoms together. And then you can identify see as that type. So you do need some carbohydrates, but it's the right type. And of course you want to get that tryptophan where it all starts. So it is harder. It is harder for vegetarians, vegans, for sure. So that's where you you do need to concentrate on more of the plant foods that will be providing that. You may even want to have an amino acid supplement, for example.
0: Okay, so you touched on carbohydrates. Just straight away, I would have said turkey butty because that's got carbohydrates and it's got turkey. In. But am I wrong in, in wrapping my tryptophan in bread? Or maybe,
1: maybe it might be if you had that turkey burger or turkey mince, then, you know, maybe you have it with some sweet potato or something like that. So, you know, a little bit. So in the book, we do have like a carbohydrate allowance and I do encourage actually the carbohydrates particularly the evening meal, can really help. So a classic thing when women go keto, when do go on a keto diet, so because there's two things about keto diet, higher in fat, low in carbohydrates. So because the carbohydrates are so low that then they might stop sleeping. Okay, that would be a classic serotonin problem. So by then sometimes literally bringing in a bit of healthy carbohydrates in the evening meal, then they could be sleeping again. So I do encourage that in the evening meal, but... For everyone, it's different how much they need and then also how much they need and then still to have that weight loss. But I do think women, particularly with their hormones, I'm not going to go into that as well second half of, you know, women who are cycling, we need some carbohydrates to help me progesterone. So that would not be the time you don't want to be doing to eat in the second half of your cycle, if you are
0: doing it. If anyone's listening, could be making, you know, you know, your symptoms worse. If you've got PMS. Fascinating. I mean, I always store my carbohydrate allowance, so to speak. I mean, it sounds a bit regimented. I mean, if I end up having carbs in the afternoon, I, I don't beat myself up about it. It's just because obviously my body was craving it. So I'm giving myself it. But I generally have my carbohydrates towards the evening because I do get into a carb coma. So if I have sweet potato uh, salads for example with some chicken or whatever for lunchtime probably about two o'clock I'm feeling a little bit snoozy is that the melatonin kicking in oh, absolutely yeah and it, when it could be that
1: I mean it could be obviously on someone's blood sugar as well but you know the classic would be people who have a baked potato and imagine baked potato beans
0: yeah that's a lot of sugar as well
1: yeah not even thinking about you know What else might be going on? And then, you know, there's sugar in that. And then next thing, you know, there's sort of like farting in the office all afternoon, which is not pleasant for everyone else.
0: It's funny, though, (laughs) if you're the perpetrator. Okay, stress, stress, cortisol. Explain the cortisol type. So the cortisol
1: type here I'm referring to is high cortisol, because actually it's high cortisol that is more linked to, you know, that weight loss resistance and that's fat around the belly, often it deposited around the so this is when i was talking about that running for a tiger or running away from a tiger this is you in this fight or flight response because you're super stressed let's face it look at women and what they have to do hold down a job running a family looking after the children you know they're they're the ones that are going to wake up in the middle of the night and go oh my god the, the, the lunchbox do you see that your husband is snoring away next door you know so the stress can be huge can be huge for women and then it's knock on effect so High cortisol, you know, they are running on adrenaline. They're chasing that. They have to. You have to keep going. And that can cause
0: particularly weight deposited around the middle. Okay. And how, how would you attack that? I'm assuming fasting or um, intermittent fasting, as most of us are, are familiar with now, would be detrimental to that type of body type.
1: Absolutely. So this is stuff you yeah, probably want them to get
0: some protein
1: in. At least if they don't feel hungry, just you know, could they have a little piece of chicken or a egg or something within an hour of waking, definitely. So I think, you know, that protein is hugely important. That really helps the cortisol type. You know, good B vitamins in there as well. Cortisol, when you're stressed, you deplete, really deplete your B vitamins. So protein is really important. Helps with the balancing blood sugars. When you're super stressed, your blood sugars could be bouncing around. But, you know, stress is the root cause. This is why we're working on that. Your favorite green leafy vegetables, which are high in magnesium, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which, you know, magnesium is so, so
0: important um, for managing cortisol uh, and our stress hormones. So really, really important. And if you were to take that as a supplement, i.e. me, because I am adverse to green vegetables, I hate preparing them. I hate, look, I hate buying them what sort of magnesium are we looking at? What other supplements? Because with stress, you can you can be running on adrenaline, which sort of makes you imagine someone with high energy, but you're mentally and physically exhausted. So you're shattered. So you're tired, wired. So what 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 can we take for that to give yourself energy, but not in the coffee side of energy? Well, magnesium is nice because it it can give you energy. So you've got different types of
1: magnesium. So like magnesium glycinate, perhaps later on in the day can be lovely, a nice calming one. And then you've got things like magnesium mallet. You still might get the benefits, but and that's more perhaps energy and good for, for muscle, for example. So maybe try the the glycinate, for example. Sometimes magnesium complexes can be lovely. Um so I do think that's a, a lovely supplement. And a nice B complex, and not necessarily Methylated a methylated form of B-complex, you know, just a nice all-round B-complex could be really useful. Those two things could be you know, super powerful. But of course, with cortisol, lifestyle factors are so important. So there'll be people, you know, that, well, just give me a pill, give me a pill. And I can't out-supplement your stress always. You know, you do have to help me out here. I Yes, I'm saying like here with the supplements, but I'm giving them to you as well so that then you can go away and, manage your stress as well so what are you going to do in your day what are you going to say no to you know some women just don't ever say no
0: yeah i mean i i just before we leave the supplements aside i've kind of like rhodiola as well just to give yourself a little. because sometimes you just feel out of control and i think whether it's placebo or not and you've got a really nice ashwagandha haven't you if adapted herbs are lovely for and the great thing about
1: you know, high cortisol, where it's high cortisol, whether it's, you know, it's slightly lower or, you know, just there's that stress response. I really like ashwagandha. We use it a lot in clinic because it doesn't matter what stage of this sort of stress response you're at, it will be really super useful. I may not initially go in with rhodiola. That might be something like a secondary, I try, but ashwagandha really works well for someone at any stage of that kind of stress response. So it will balance. So if you've got too much or too little, it's a nice, balancing act ashwagandha it's great for supporting low thyroid as well so i really like the ashwagandha i think it's a i think it's a great adaption at her
0: you mentioned that walnuts pumpkin seeds are really beneficial as well i mean just to be clear how do we prepare say supermarket bought nuts and seeds well yes i mean some
1: people might not be able to digest them very well okay so it's the anti-nutrients or whatever they're just harder to digest so you could absolutely just soak them overnight and then put them in your, whether it's your protein shake or your cheer pudding or something the next day. So absolutely you could do that. Um, so you literally could, you don't necessarily have to dry them out. If you literally just wanted to then add them to something, you soak them overnight, rinse them, and then add them to whatever you want to do in the morning. But yes, if you wanted to go one step further, you then can soak them and then you want to get them back to their dried state. So then you can put them in, say, a low oven or a dehydrator and then just dry them out again and they're really nice and crunchy. Walnuts are so nice when they're done like that, actually. So if you can do that, then great. But of course, remember, the cortisol type is already really stressed. So then they have to think about activating the nuts. Well, that's something you
0: could, um, you could ask your kids to do. Put the nuts in a bowl of water, please, and put it in the fridge. I mean, then you've activated the nuts because I was in Planet Organic the other day I was in London last week, and I went in with my friend Sarah, and it was like seven ninety nine for a handful of nuts that have been activated. And the word activation, you think, oh my god, that's some sort of like really woo woo, brilliant uh, thing that they've done in some lab or something. No, they've just put them in water and taken them out and dried them. So it's literally you're being charged a thousand percent markup for something that you can do yourself, right?
1: Yeah, hundreds of thousands of years ago, they would have left them out, rained and then left them to dry out in the sun.
0: Brilliant. Okay, so activate your nuts, guys. <laughs> Not your husband's, the supermarket ones. <laughs> Excuse me. Okay, detox type, Pippa. Tell me about how important the detox system is. What on earth is the lymphatic system as well and why has it been ignored for so many years? Yeah, this is the big one, the detox type. Now, I am focusing a lot though on
1: the liver as the detox type. And the reason being is because it is the main organ for detoxification. So the lymphatic system, yes, is involved in all of this and it pushes everything around in the lymph and and we've got to make sure that's clearing and working well because you know it works alongside the liver so that then everything can be pushed out and moved. So sluggish lymph is is not ideal. But I am focusing on the liver here because that is where the most issues I found over the years is with the liver. Okay. And especially with women because everything we eat, breathe, touch smell including our own hormones so our own hormones we make or exogenous hormones as in hrt the pill etc all has to be cleared through the liver and i think women you know can have problems here because the over overburden of hormones especially if you're you know when it's eastern thyroid whatever there's there's an overburden of hormones going through there and it puts a burden on the liver so i think it's super important and because we're so affected Our hormones are so affected by things like, whether it's BPA in plastics, whether it's we're drinking the pill in water, someone's leftover pill that they've weed out. I think there are so many toxins in the world, and without getting scaremongery, you know, we can't eliminate all of these things. We do want to try and reduce toxins. In fact, I had someone in my membership club yesterday come on, a trichologist, talking about how she has seen over recent years a real increase in a particular type of alopecia, and she and around here, and she thinks it's to do with SPF and, and women using sun creams and stuff with toxins in around here losing hair.
0: So around your, your hairline, just for people who aren't watching or, and they're only listening. So it's around your hairline as where your makeup would finish. I guess where that's everyone's put in SPF fifty uh, constantly, even if you're inside, you put it on. They say, which I think's crackers. You think that that's impeding hair growth? Well, this is what the
1: trichologist was saying, that she thinks, and there are links there. So I thought that was fascinating that she said that, because there was a particular type of um, of alopecia, which involves just the front of the hair moss here. So she thought, we're talking about not mineral, but chemical sunscreen, but also the expensive sunscreens that people, uh, moisturizers and things people are using that are packed with, you know, toxins might like have parabens in, et cetera. And then makeup, I mean, goodness, makeup is horrific. You know, young girls putting on some of these, and there's been lots in the press recently about various toxins that are in, in makeup. And you think these teenagers are putting them on their face. imagine that foundation, which is in a plastic bottle. So you think BPA in a plastic bottle might not be too, too bad, but then they stick their makeup bag on their radiator and that bottle gets warm or they leave it in their car. Next thing, the BPAs are leaching into their foundation and they're putting it on a living.
0: Now, why are, why are the, like, the boots, the super drug of this world, why aren't they um, standing up and saying, you know, this is a real thing? Or is it, is it just literally big pharma again saying there's no evidence, so therefore it's not of concern? I'm hoping they will, but of course it's, it's cheap to do this, you know, to find something
1: else that will help, you know, preserve or help make these plastics. Of course they take something out and then they say they're bpa free i do wonder then sometimes what else are they putting in correct uh it is more of a problem when they are it's plastic bottles and it's then getting war but of course i think ideally you know there are some more conscious brands coming out they don't we don't see sort of clean beauty so much anymore but conscious because they're consciously trying to remove everything but there has been a lot in the press so i'd love it if all these things were banned but then these companies will probably chart for something else won't they but i think it's trying what you can, you can't do everything. It's trying to you can.
0: And just Pippa, are some people are genetically more predisposed to, say, absorbing these ingredients? So we've all got different skin types. And of course, you know, people out there say, you know, your skin's got a barrier. It's not going to absorb toxins. The molecules are too big. And therefore, it's never going to get into your liver. Well, then how is it that
1: then in testing, you can actually see. So my daughter, I, I tested some various things. And it was mild, but BPA came up and she had an immune response to BPA. Now, the only thing I could think of, because she didn't have that come up before, is when she went to university, before she was making coffee herself in her accommodation, she was getting a lot of takeout coffee. And of course, they're lined with plastic, those coffee cups. She wasn't doing a takeout, one which, of course, she should have done a stainless steel thing. She wasn't drinking through the lids because she knows that. I'd like, oh, you know, years ago, drink it through the lid, the plastic lid. So that's the only thing I could think of. I'll never really know, but that's all I could think of. So how else then is that happening? How can we say that it's not getting through our, our skin or we're not, you know, drinking it or not? And then what you'd seen, you know, it's in someone's blood. So I think that that's not true. We can absolutely absorb it. But of course, some people, maybe two and I we're missing our glutathione gene, some people may not be able to detoxify these things as well. And what's the impact of that? So that means that we our liver won't we'll be able to deal with it as well. Won't we'll be able to clear it through the liver. So we're exposed to the same toxins. Say we're all exposed to the same toxins. It might be genetically, so like you and I, might be able to deal with those toxins as well. So yes, we can put less in, but let's face it, we are just exposed to things. But it's about supporting someone, you know, someone's liver so they can detoxify it. And if you have a gene, which means you don't as produce as much glutathione, which is a powerful antioxidant, then you will just be less able to deal with these toxins.
0: And that will cause weight gain or uh, weight maintenance, i.e. you're never going to get as lean as you want to be because your body is obviously inflamed and dealing with detoxing. And of course, my worst one is brain fog.
1: Yeah, it absolutely can contribute to brain fog for sure. Um, so I have seen that. I mean, I have worked on people's detoxification sparsolates, working on the liver And they've lost weight. I mean, you know, it is incredible. So it's working out the root cause through all these different questions. And that's what the signs and symptoms are about. So again, why, you know, why would, if your body is filled with toxins, it's not going to prioritise weight loss. It'll be spilling out all these toxins into the blood.
0: Actually, it's like when I had my uh, explant, I took um, my uh, plastic boobs out and all of a sudden my brain fog lifted and my swollen ankles went. You know, who'd have thought the boobs would have affected, I mean...
1: Yeah. So now you know the inflammation that it was causing. And perhaps you're right with their toxins leaching into the body. And then suddenly it felt so much better. I know.
0: Fascinating. So there are
1: things to do through diet. I mean, the big ones again, which you'll be pleased to hear. So you'll probably like the onions and garlic and things like that. But then it's those cruciferous vegetables. So those cauliflower as well, which is not green, but most of them will be green. Rocket, watercress, broccoli. Pak Choi, Brussels sprouts, those sort of things are brilliant to support detoxification.
0: Now, Pippa, I've got to ask you about, particularly someone like uh, Michaela Peterson, who's a strict carnivore. And the whole oxalate, phytate uh, debate, I mean, I've interviewed Dave Asprey recently and he is staunchly against these green vegetables saying that they're actually the ones triggering the inflammation, the brain fog, making us feel lazy, making us feel shattered because they are actually, they're toxic to us. What do you say about that?
1: Well, in clinic, I haven't found that, to be honest. I've rarely found that to be a problem. There are for some people with poor gut health that might, and generally they have poor gut health, so then you have to look up why. You know, so looking at their gut health, that might not be able to deal with the oxalates. We look at the Mediterranean diet. They are eating foods with oxalates in, and they are living a long time. So I'm sure Tim Spector has probably spoken about this sort of thing. But centenarians are eating oxalates. So that you know, then that to me, that doesn't make sense. Because if we're all about the big word at the moment is longevity. So then why are these people who are eating foods with oxalates in? I'm not talking about necessarily a really high oxalate diet, but eating foods with oxalates in.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- this is my argument with Tim, who's telling me to, you know, have meat once a month. And I'm like, that doesn't roll with me. I don't, uh, you know, I just don't find I get the nutrition from that. One diet does not fit all but he actually to be fair to tim he said it's because of the environmental impact and that's a whole different debate because i do not believe my lamb that is grown in lancashire that i get from my local butcher has any impact on the environment when they're actually eating grass and uh, and pooing on the the soil which is given it nitrates i don't think me importing soy or t- even if it's tofu from china has less of an impact than my little lamb that's grown in the ribble valley i mean i just i just think that's just not even mathematically A consideration.
1: And you have to look at almonds, which means they need huge amounts of water. So I, I, yes, that's a separate thing, completely separate argument. If he's setting for environmental issues, that's one thing. But when we're talking about diet, then I think some people do, you know, do do well on a diet that includes good quality grass-fed meat and we're talking about grass-fed here so this is ones that are not exposed to antibiotics and things like that
0: which uh, to be fair to the european union we don't we we, we banned that's how simprove came out so we don't have preventative antibiotics in our system unlike in america where a lot of the propaganda comes from that it's all you know it's industrialized meat i mean you can really do your british beef due diligence and you will generally because yes in britain we have a lot of rain so Ideally, you know, the cows are outside for the majority of their life anyway, grazing on free grass. They're not lot fed like they are in South America. So to me, if you if you buy locally being British, you nine times out of 10, you're going to have uh, an animal that's that's been bred outside because it's just more cost effective. And lamb's always outside. Anyway, that's all you ever see around here is sheep. As soon as you come out of the London M25, there's just sheep. Oh, everywhere. So I think, yes, lamb is less of a problem. Beef, you know, ideally they want to be
1: solely grass fed. The problem is, you see... If they're not, then they can be then prone to things like mastitis. And mastitis, you know, they are going to have to give their cows antibiotics. Mm-hmm. You know, different from women who get mastitis. So they, you know, they're more likely if they're not grass-fed to be prone to mastitis, then they're given antibiotics. So, you know, it's just something they have to then be, be given. And then we're going to consume that as well. But I do think, you know, as you said, looking at diet, no one size fits all. Some people just do better on no you know, high animal protein diet. It really depends. It is so individual. I think you can tell how you feel or how good you feel like you do. You feel good on this. So coming back to the oxalates, I think if people it's become quite scaremongery and I, I'm not I'm not really for that. I think the problem is it's then pushing people off eating vegetables, which then causes all sorts of gut issues in itself and then you're not getting the fibre. We know how important fibre is. Super, super important to to get that fiber in you know we want to then you know we're worried about people's bowels and bowel cancer etc so we we are then increasing risk of all sorts of things i would hate it if somebody cut out their vegetables but yes if they're concerned they don't have to eat raw kale or raw no, spinach no okay, definitely which, not so you you know you t- you don't want to be just think sensible you're not su- juicing kale every day it's not sensible so i think you know just just be sensible about it and, and also variety of food. We're not supposed to be eating
0: this. We shouldn't be eating kale every day. Well, I mean, I'd argue we shouldn't really have it anyway. I think it was some marketing genius who came up with it as being a superfood. A superfood are things like you mentioned in your book, like mackerel, like eggs, like beef, like broccoli, particularly if you, you, how do you increase the sulforaphane, which is the brilliant antioxidant that helps us detox our estrogen, which we're going to move on to shortly. How do you prepare broccoli, Pepper? Because if I'm going to eat broccoli, I may as well get the maximum benefit out of this mundane, horrible ingredient. So eating it raw, yes, is going to mean that it will be high in the
1: sulforaphane. And as you chew it and um, chopping and chewing, then you're going to eat it. Now, who's going to eat raw? Okay. Is not, not many people will eat raw. So then the problem is you cook it, which reduces the sulforaphane. So it's like, huh, this is a an eye. Now, if you chop that broccoli at least 40 minutes, and there's research showing up to 90 minutes before a meal, you will release the enzymes and increase that sulforaphane which is depleted in cooking it's a win because you can get your meal ready in time and then it's like oh I've done all the prep work so I think that's a win and of course if you really all else fails love broccoli sprouts so two tablespoons of broccoli sprouts is the equivalent sulforaphane content antioxidant content to about two heads of broccoli so even if you don't I mean I would leave a packet open for my son and daughter you know literally and they would just eat it, even if they don't like it. You can get through two tablespoons. You
0: can. Yes. I mean, I know it's a case of getting into a habit. That's all it is. It's habit, isn't it? It's it's getting into a new, like you open because well, as soon as I come in from work, that's when I start like really eating. Now, if I just put that in front of me first while I'm prattling around in the fridge, that's all it takes. And then I'm hitting my antioxidant sort of goals and then my life will become easier because I'm oh, detoxing. But- Boxing your estrogen. So, I mean, it's just like, it's a win. It's easy. Now, I am
1: not, I do not have green fingers. I am not going to grow. I, you know what? I make my own nut milk. I am not superwoman. I can't do everything. I do not grow my own broccoli sprouts. It's a disaster. Okay. I, I just can't grow things. But some people, you know, as Kate on my team who's like sent you photos of all these broccoli sprouts. Sorry, Kate, on your yeah. team. Yeah. So I buy mine from my local organic shop. I know Abel and Co., which is a delivery company, they also sell them. So, do not fear, women. I'm not asking you to make everything and cause even more stress, but I do think broccoli sprouts are brilliant. If you identify as the oestrogen type, oestrogen type might be someone who's getting PMT. You
0: might have fibroids, endometriosis, heavy periods, hormonal acne, and that that's also called oestrogen dominance, isn't it? And can you just because you mentioned your son? Can you explain why oestrogen dominance is becoming a thing in men as well? And why? Because we're always told, you know, boost your oestrogen, your oestrogen, you need oestrogen, you need oestrogen, you're perimenopausal, more oestrogen, slather it on. Why is that not quite right? Well, it's a very good point you're saying about perimenopause, which is, I think, really neglected
1: this topic. Menopause is talked about a lot, but perimenopause, which is those gray years, 10 to 15 years before that one day you are menopause and then you're postmenopause, it is very common because we see it in clinic with symptoms and we see a lot of Dutch cycle mapping testing where we do it over a whole month. It is very common, which is like my estrogen if I wasn't doing all these things. Uh, we often see huge highs of estrogen and perimenopause. This is your body going back to puberty. It's like last chance to make a baby is shouting. Your brain is shouting at the ovaries. Oh my goodness. So you can see Eastern fluctuations. So you might get real drops. We see a classic from day three, really increasing. Sometimes in an early ovulation, if they are ovulating, these women quite from around day 10, then it will drop down and maybe really low for just a few days and then it goes up really high again, honestly. And that's why eating these broccoli sprouts and things like with the sulforaphane can help with that to clear that oestrogen. But we're we're talking about quite high oestrogen. So oestrogen dominance, it can be a few things. It's actually you are making too much, or it might be actually you're not making too much. You've just got too much in relationship to progesterone. So they're like, you know, sisters, they kind of balance each other out. It might also be that you are not clearing it very well through the liver. So there's different scenarios, which, you know, all the time, I mean, property sprouts are good for all of these things. So, you know, just eat them. But there are different more targeted things we do for the different different stages that I talk about in my book but you were talking about men and this is yeah oh interesting so whilst we see and this is what I suffered from which got me into the whole nutrition thing so from the age of 19 I've been put on the pill because of a regular well my skin white periods every two weeks classic he's in dominance and uh, I've been put on the pill because no one else knew what to do with me and I'd also, then my mother took me to what she called a quack in Harley Suit. No one was doing this, but I was giving east, uh, progesterone suppositories because they thought PMS is always to give low progesterone. My progesterone was fine. I just had too much estrogen and I wasn't clearing it very well. No one no one talked about that in those in those days. Next thing, after being on the pill, then I started suffering with really bad PMT. And this is in another Estrogen dominant symptoms. So once I knew what was going on and I trained myself, I knew how to fix it. And literally with the first month, I thought, oh my goodness, I've been suffering for 10 years within one month. I had no symptoms. Crazy. So this is very common we see in clinic with women and girls. But men, you're right. We are seeing, and we don't have a lot of men going through our clinic, but we, we are seeing some men, they might be saying they have boobs, a little bit of a pot belly. And they are also being exposed to. They make oestrogen as well, and they're maybe being exposed to these xenoestrogens, these things that can affect our oestrogen as well. Our body doesn't really know the difference, like parabens, for
0: example, one of them. So just to be clear, that could be in um, anything from processed food, I guess, like soy is a xenoestrogen, isn't it? And of course, you know, bottled water in plastic bottles that contains xenoestrogen. And even drinking water from the tap would have it in as well, wouldn't it? From just generally how we recycle water, you can't get rid of the hormones in there. You get rid of the bacteria, I guess, but the hormones are always going to survive, right? I mean, that means coming out of us, the women, going into the drinking water, going into the men, right? Yeah.
1: I think plastic water bottles are probably one of the worst ones. I think BPA and plastics are pretty bad endocrine disruptors um, or xenoestrogens, you know. So I do think so. our receptors think it's oestrogen. And so it's like taking it in. Thank you very much. So that's another thing we have to detoxify through the liver.
0: I really liked, you put me on dim, You put me on that and calcium d years ago now. I mean, I've been working for you, with you, it seems like forever. But I found that really effective with my PMT and my sort of like engorged boobs. Would that be the same for men? Is that, is that, the, is that showing? So that, you mentioned man boobs.
1: Yeah. So if I'd got, of course, we wouldn't, I'd never put somebody on dim unless I suspected there was a problem with high estrogen or in it works in phase one, Dim, I would never, you know, recommend that without really understanding the client, their symptoms and probably testing. So I have tested men. I've done a Dutch test with men and we found perhaps that either got high estrogen and or they're not clearing it to phase one of the liver. And you can see that it's brilliant. And then I, I might have put them on dim, and I had one client in Dubai and he said, wow, can't believe it. My man boobs have gone. And CAD glucose is different. It works on phase two of the liver. So um, I think because of your detox pathways, it is a major pathway for hormone detoxification in the next stage of the liver. So everything goes through phase one. That's where DIM would work. And then it goes through phase two. But I certainly would never get somebody. I wouldn't ever recommend somebody just trying dim out because, of course, they could reduce their estrogen. They could cause more problems. They might start getting migraines. So we have to know if we care for a woman who is on HRT, for example, they might need it because their, their results come back and they're really high. With their oestrogen, they may not be clearing it, but we might go really low and slow because what we don't want and start getting hot flushes back, etc. And women in menopause can still be estrogen dominant, And people don't understand that. Like, how is that right? Because they might have too much oestrogen in relation to progesterone. They might be on HRT and their progesterone they're given isn't balancing out, isn't enough compared to their oestrogen. Or it might be just they're not even on HRT and they just got, because you still start making, you still carry on making oestrogen, progesterone really does decline. Um, so it's the adrenals and fat tissue carry on making oestrogen. Progesterone is, is quite low. We don't make a lot of that. And we make oestrogen in fat tissue. So women who are overweight, like are making more oestrogen, um,
0: this type of oestrogen that is made in fat tissue. Fascinating. And, you know, it, I guess once again, it's getting to the root cause, isn't it? And just snipping it off at the base. And then that cascade of positive reactions can, you know, happen. It's giving the body the tools to do what it wants to do, i.e. survive and thrive. Yep, and using food as medicine, which I think is, is you know where you start. Right, Pippa, before you go, I need to touch on a biggie. The thyroid type, can you please explain what we can and can't do with our thyroid? And basically, what tests should we be doing? Low thyroid is very common,
1: actually very common in women. I think it's definitely our thyroid gland is very sensitive to stress. So whether this is where it all starts, I think it's probably quite common. And also, you know, you are looking, I'm looking to, know, you know, does your mother have low thyroid, you know, then you're more likely to. The problem is you go to your doctor and you will get your thyroid tested. Cause you go to the doctor, you say you're really tired. You can't lose weight. So you're saying these sort of things. If you're lucky, the doctor might go, let's test the thyroid. But they might only test TSH, which is thyroid stimulating hormone, which is released by the pituitary. So the reason why they test that one is because, in theory, what they're saying is that would be raised if there's a problem because that should be raised if your thyroid gland is not working properly because your pituitary will then go, sending this TSH out, to go, come on, thyroid gland. To compensate, go. yeah? Yeah, but kick up the arse, yeah? You cannot look at thyroid stimulating hormone on its own without the T4, which is produced by the thyroid gland. because so it's like like a you know, cross-trainer in the gym. As one goes up, one comes down. You cannot look at those, like, one or the other on its own. Right. Because you need to how they're working together, okay? So, because they go up and down. And then the other thing which they don't, unfortunately, do on the NHS is T3. So T4, which is like thyroxine medication, actually, but T4 in the body, and the liver does 60% of this, T4 needs to be converted to T3, which is the fat-burning hormone. This is the one that really is the active one. So you might be testing all the right thing. It's like, I've been told I'm normal. But then your T3 might be low. So you have to look at the full picture. You absolutely have to look at the full picture. And of course, you won't see antibodies. So we do have on our website an at-home thyroid test kit that people you know, can do if they're not getting the full picture. And then another problem, let's just get all the frustrations out now. Yes, Jim. Another problem is the UK range. It's got broader and broader as more people suffer with undirected thyroid. So they go, well, let's just broaden it because now this is so you might have a TSH result of three and you've been told, oh, well then that's within normal range. That's fine. It's not fine. In functional medicine, we'd want that to be under two. There is a reason why endocrinologists want women who, girls who are trying to get women who are trying to get pregnant, want it under 2.52 because you need thyroid hormone for uh, pregnancy, Good, you know, good thyroid levels. So, you know, there is a reason. So why would it be any different for anyone else? So they're suffering with all these symptoms. And the doctor said, if they're lucky to even get the results back, that is. Their doctor said, your thyroid's all normal. It's fine. So they're like, "Oh, well, where do I go now? I don't understand. I'm still feeling exhausted. I I'm still can't lose weight. It's like, okay, it's not my thyroid. What is it? The
0: doctor's already is your thyroid. Interesting. So um, we can get a test from your website. How long does that sort of, what, what does that show? And how, how do you administer it? How do you take it? Sorry. First of all, I have to say signs and symptoms are a big one,
1: even forgetting blood tests. I would be, I have a thyroid symptom checker on my website and also in the book, all the signs and symptoms. Honestly, that you just don't, you don't even just treat the test. Listen to the person, listen to your symptoms. What is your gut feeling? Do you really feel that you can tick all these boxes? There's a thyroid problem. So that is super
0: important. Give us three, three of your top symptoms that we can just look at ourselves right now and go, you go, that's that's looking towards underactive thyroid. sluggish weight loss,
1: so you might be doing extreme diet and the weight loss is slow, or you go away for a weekend having been on a diet and you push on weight like ridiculous amount of weights in you and you just slightly went off the boil a little bit. So that'd be one. Then low energy, absolutely, is another one. And then as you said, yeah, another biggie is the loss of outer third of your eyebrow. That one is like Women think, oh my goodness, yes. So I can see them on Zoom and, you know, and they're like, oh my goodness, yes, and I can see it. And then there are other things like constipation and cold hands and feet. But yeah, those are big ones. So signs and tools are so important. And if you really feel that's you, take it to the next stage and then you can do some blood tests. Information is power. So whether you go to your doctor with it or you come to us, because there's so
0: much we can do naturally in clinic as well. So much. And, you know, we're talking selenium, iodine, these sort of ingredients are just so beneficial for the uh, for the thyroid, aren't they? Where do we find those and what foods?
1: So we've got I've got a full list in the book of those foods. So seafood, which people aren't eating, you know, so much anymore. Um, Sea vegetables like dulse. You could just add a little
0: bit to your food as well. Samphire. I like samphire. Or yum. No. Okay, good, good. Finally, finally something green I'll consume. I think, I, I, I don't know. That's interesting. You like Samphire? Maybe because it's not, it's interesting. It's not Yeah, boring. yeah, exactly. It's just because it looks rather swanky and I look like I know what I'm doing at the checkout. Oh, I'm Samphire, don't you know? <laughs> I mean, they do use it at restaurants and things,
1: don't Maybe because it's salty as well. So yeah, those things, um, foods are, are really useful. And I think so many people are, so many people are low in iid i love selenium and selenium rich food because it's such a powerful antioxidant i love selenium and then it's useful magnesium or vitamin d and vitamin a and lots of people vitamin a so people always think oh it's your orange vegetables so you know carrots vitamin a for eyesight really important for thyroid function vitamin a actually and some people don't convert beta carotene very well so that's in vegetables to retinol
0: so in the form that we can use so that's where you really want to be eating your chicken livers vitamin a great so chicken liver pate because people think oh chicken livers well you can easily make a chicken liver pate can't you i mean you just have that on sourdough i guess because of course there's always got to be a carbohydrate vessel for me if i'm going to have liver
1: uh, fry it out with some onions and garlic and if you can't face eating it like that then just chop it up or whizz it up in your blender make it into a pate uh, brilliant i mean i know you're a huge advocate of things like liver and organ meats um the problem is people just aren't eating them anymore
0: no i mean i think loads of it just gets chucked away because it just isn't the demand for it but it's the most nutrient dense and it's probably one of the cheapest things in the in the meat counter
1: well i know so when people you know people are saying oh it's really expensive to eat healthy," it's not always
0: no no i mean you've got to just get a bit more exciting and just go and speak to your butcher and and get one of those cookbooks that literally deals with masking the pungent gamey smell. That's what it is, and that normally means just counteracting it with some sort of fruity thing, or or as like a I suppose if you do your red onions, they go they caramelise, don't they? So they go really sweet with the liver. So it works, you know. You just balance it. Not that I'm a chef or anything. It's Matt who does it, so I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs>
1: Bonnaise, I would always, I, it was years when I finally told my children that I was, had been seeking liver into their bonnaise for years. Spiking so was, it. it up, blend spiking it, wheezing it up in a blender. And then when you're sort of um, browning off the meat, which half the I don't bother browning off meat and casseroles anymore, it's just like I skip that process. But then you, you mix through and you cook through a little bit the chicken livers, then the blended chicken livers, and then you cook it in your normal way. Just quickly, um, fluoride and chlorine. Does that affect our thyroid? Unfortunately, it does. Wow. And it can hinder then iodine absorption. So you're doing all this good, and then you've still got fluoride in your toothpaste
0: fascinating yeah so I mean I've I've I'll have to do um I'll put it in the show notes but there's a, a really good I don't know where she's from um I think my son bought it online an activated charcoal fluoride free toothpaste that really whitened his teeth it was my 15 year old who said look how white my teeth are you know and I was like oh it works because I always think no no fluoride fluoride yes you can get green people
1: kingfisher You know, some nice minty brands because, I mean, I used to use a fennel one and, like, my husband completely likes quite that, you know, and the whole family would take the piss out of me. You can get some nice minty toothpaste. But, yes, chloride can absolutely hinder iodine absorption. So you're doing all this good to support your thyroid and then you're not absorbing Mm. the iodine, for
0: example. Brilliant. And that's such a simple swap, isn't it? Pippa, this has been, of course, an amazing conversation. If there's one thing that you want people to take away from this chat, which I'm sure we're going to have another chat soon anyway, what is it? I mean, for me, it's like, really look at yourself. Don't look at your friend.
1: Yeah, I get it. I try to be as, it's very hard in the book to make it as bespoke as possible. But really, you know, I think women need to stop and give themselves a little bit of self-care. They're, they're diagnosing, they're sort of looking at symptoms of their children, their or husband, or whatever, but actually stop and start taking notice of themselves, their symptoms, tracking their menstrual cycle and things like that. Just really try and start, you know, doing some self-care and
0: thinking about you. I mean, the thing is, it's like if your plane loses oxygen, they always tell you to put your oxygen mask on first before you assist the children, because you're going to have to look after them further down the line. And it's, it's just common sense look after number one because then you can look after two three four five and six seven and eight and you include the dogs um so you know it is it's not a selfish thing it actually is a generous thing to do because if if you're well the knock-on effects are phenomenal aren't they absolutely and if you can even get there as prevention before there are really some you know serious symptoms well well done you Pippa, where can people connect with you or your? I mean, you've got a nice big team now, haven't you? So they don't have to speak to you per se. You oversee everything, don't you?
1: Yeah, I have five practitioners. So there's one to one. So via my website, pippacampbellhealth.com. So we've got practitioners offering a one to one. Then in my female food club, we have a membership club there. So that's for people that perhaps want ongoing support, don't want a one to one perhaps. And it's, uh, you know, financially a little bit more viable as well. And we're supporting people with
0: the book in there as well. Superb. Pippa, thank you so much. You are a delight and send my love to all the family. Oh, insane! same. So good to chat. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hack Your Health. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and please share it far and wide so everyone else can get healthier. The more people we can educate and empower will lead us to a healthier life. Okay, so we make this show for you and I'd love to get your feedback. So please do review us or DM me on Instagram at Divinia Taylor. This has been an Underground Fan Club production.